Good morning. Everybody hear that? Okay, I'm going to try to maintain that. Good idea, okay. Um, we'll come to another session in Redemption Accomplished and Applied, and we also come to another break in the series. Um, we're going to take some time. Rod, are you coming in next? Okay, what are you going to be doing? Do you know? Holy Spirit, okay. That sounds great. So um, we will come back eventually and finish this up. It's only been going on for a little over a year, so I guess a few more months won't matter. But this morning we're talking about adoption, and this I've really looked forward, I guess, to this more than maybe any of the other series of things in the series, because in it we really see God's heart. I think more than maybe can't see more than anything else, but it's a, it gives us a clear understanding, a clearer understanding uh, of our Father's heart and His great love for us. You know, any time we come to the Scriptures, we need to ask ourselves, what is teach? What does it teach us about God? And we'll be looking at that closely this morning. And what does it teach about taking that knowledge and applying it to our lives? Okay. So we've got some papers back there. You can sign up for adoption, okay? When you finish, you can sign up to it. No. Um, but this really, I think, reveals God next to, to, to salvation. When someone comes to know the Lord, I think that, that this maybe reveals him all the better, all the more. You know, Paul's priority in his life was knowing God in Philippians 3. He said, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Knowing the surpassing value. Now, Paul, if he was alive today, I've been told that he would probably have the equivalent of three or four PhDs behind his name. He was a learned man. He, had, he was a, a Jew of all Jews. He was committed uh, to the Lord Jesus um, and yet he said to know Christ better was more than anything else he could want. Okay? And that kind of puts a mirror up in front of me. Is that true of me? Am I willing to pay any price to know him better? And today, in today's culture, um, it's not a difficult thing, but we may yet have... Um, an opportunity to pay a price for Jesus when with uh, the world's going. Does everyone have a handout? If you don't, if you raise your hand, uh, we'll get one to you. Okay, one back here. Somebody, please. Jane, would you get Okay, we're getting them. Several years ago, Jean and I had the opportunity to go to a conference, and we were going as babysitters. That's our time of life now. We go, Kyle and Michelle go to the conference, and we sit with the babies. You know, and that's great, and we look forward to that. But I had an opportunity uh, to get into one conference. C.J. Mahaney was teaching, and it was, it was electrifying, I tell you. It was, it was glorious. But one of the things, main things that I took out of that conference was what you see there. Our understanding of Christianity 
cannot be better than our grasp, grasp of the gospel, of the adoption. I'm sorry. Our understanding of Christianity cannot be better than our grasp of adoption. In adoption, we see the heart of God. We see him taking uh, a baby or even an adult back then and, and into, his, his, into his home, into his heart, into his thought pattern, and, and making them one of his family. Um, this has become a kind of a, a lens through which I see scripture. Anytime I'm in the scripture, that it's amazing how many times that thing will pop up and, and will show me more of Christ in it. Uh, Patha asked a question, what is a Christian? And then he gave uh, what he considers the richest answer that he knows, and that is a Christian is one who has God as his father. Back to the um, adoption theme again. A Christian is one who has God as his father. So how do we perceive God in that context? Okay. What is your perception of God as your father? Um, I think that for me, when I use, the, I use the word Father all the time when I'm praying to God the Father, or I speak of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. But I'm not always aware, as I should be, of what that really means, of the fullness of that, of that commitment that's from him that's behind that. When addressing God as Father in the Old Testament, most emphasis was placed on God's holiness. It portrays his unapproachable holiness. He is separated from man because of man's sin. Again and again, it was stressed that we could not keep our, we must keep our place, our distance in the presence of a holy God. In the Old Testament, um, God was perceived, and, and God put himself forth to be perceived um, as one who was holy and separated. You remember the tabernacle, the, the structure of the tabernacle shows us this, that in the middle was the Holy of Holies, where God, shine uh, glory, uh, dwelt. And then there was an outer tabernacle that the priest could go in and out to offer the sacrifices and so forth. And there was very strict ordinance as to who could go where and when. The priests were allowed to go into the outer court to offer, make the offerings and so forth. But no one was able to get into the presence of God except the high priest once a year. Okay? God is showing us the separation. God is showing us he is holy and we are not and we cannot approach him because of that God has selected God was secluded in the holy of holies and no man could dare approach him without penalty of death God's grace was foreshadowed in the sacrificial system but man was forbidden in God's presence but in the, in the New Testament things change drastically we don't perceive God in that way. God does not want to 
want to be perceived in that way. He's opened the door to allow us to see uh, into his presence. But in the New Testament, the scene has drastically changed. A new factor has come into play. A new relationship is now available that the Old Testament saints knew little of. God has allowed us to enter into a relationship with him. And that's the relationship that we want to talk about this morning. Hebrews 12 says, Brethren, since you have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a sincere heart and in full assurance of faith. You know, another passage in Hebrews talks about coming to him with boldness and with confident access that we can get into his presence and be blessed. Okay. So there's a new there's a new era. Under the condemnation of the law, man is destitute of any hope of salvation. Paul summed it up in Romans 7.24 when he said, O wretched man that I am, who shall set me free from this body of sin? And we know that the answer to that is Christ Jesus and grace that he, he provides for us. Under the, con under the uh, condemnation of the law, the man was destitute. I'll cover that up, sorry. While there was grace on display and offered in the Old Testament days, the predominant message was caution, danger, judgment. That's what the people were faced with when they came to worship God. Today, that caution stands, but the message of grace for his elect rings out through his church and through his redemption. God is holy and we still need to have a, a caution in entering into his presence. But he, he asked us to come. He provided a way. While there was grace on display in the, in the, for the... Sorry, I'll say that again. Today he says to his church, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. What a fantastic passage. That was written specifically to the, to the unbelievers. But for, for believers, what an invitation to come. You know, to come to me, um, everyone who's weary and heavy laden. And at times we're all that way, aren't we? With one care of the world or another, we're heavy laden. And he says, come to me and I will give you rest. So we talked about the fact that in the Old Testament time, there was that caution. The New Testament brought a new relationship between God and his people. And we see that God acts. And when he acted, everything, everything changed. Everything changed, right? Spurgeon says, God moved toward men. We did not move toward him. But he told us, the offended to the offended, the offended to the offender. He sent forth his son to bless his enemies. You know, thankfully, God did not wait for us to wake up. We, we couldn't have. Our eyes were cut shut because of the sin and all in our lives. We couldn't see him. We couldn't see our need for him. 
We couldn't see the provision that he made. But God came to us even when we were his enemies and made a way for us to come into his presence. God had two purposes in our salvation. First off, he had an atoning purpose. And this is what we normally think about in our salvation. Whereby he, we were redeemed out of our out of our lives of slavery to sin and imputed with Christ's perfect righteousness, making us acceptable to God. God came, he atoned for our sins, he imputed his righteousness, his grace to us so that we may have a right relationship with him. But then there was another purpose. Um, if we go back to page one, I should have read this before. He gives us that second purpose uh, in Colossians 4, 4 and 5. It says, When the fullness of time came, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, so that we might receive the adoption of sons. I don't know how many times I've read that verse, and my mind just thinks in terms of, of, of the uh, forgiveness of sins and so forth. I've never really seen the fact that Part of his plan all the time was to be the adoption of sons. And that's what we're going to be talking about. Okay, He had a, an atoning purpose whereby he redeemed our lives from slavery of sin and computed, computed, imputed Christ's righteousness to us. But then the adopting purpose when he takes responsibility as our loving father and gives us the right to become his children. Galatians 4, I'm going to read the first seven verses to you. It's going to be a repeat of what we, some of what we just did. But Talking about sonship in Christ, he says, Now I say, as long as the heir is a child, he does not differ from slave, although he is the owner of everything. But he is under guardians and managers until the date set for him by his father. So as so also we, while we were children, we were held in bondage under the elemental, elemental things of the world. But, when, but when, in the, when the fullness of time came, God sent forth his son to be born of a, of a woman, born under the law, so that he might redeem those who are under the law, that they might receive the adoption of sons. Because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into your lives, into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Therefore you are no longer a slave, but a son, and if a son, then you are an heir through God. Tremendous promises, tremendous redemption that God has given us is his sons. Let's look a little deeper in Romans, excuse me, in Galatians 4. That's a very key passage when it comes to adoption. We're going to go through the verses I just read. We're going to take them a verse or two at a time and see if we can open them up a little bit. It says, when the fullness of time came, 
So what is, what is the fullness of time? The fullness of time refers to the completion of a period of preparation in God's sovereign timetable of redemption. When the law had fully accomplished its purpose in showing man his utter sinfulness and inability to live to, up to God's standard of perfect righteousness, God ushered in a new era of redemption when he sent forth his son to provide the righteousness for man that man could not provide for himself. So when he talks about a fullness of time, it's, he's talking about a, a period of time in which God had planned to, to do a work in our lives before he sent his son. And that work included giving us the law to prove to us that we could not provide what he wanted. But we could not provide what he demanded. Okay. The fullness of time came. That time came. And God was ready to act. It says that God sent forth his son. And that was a decisive act on God's part in response to our desperate need. You know, God took the initiative. God sent his son. There was only one man who could meet that need. The incarnate God man. The incarnate God man. First Timothy 2.5 says, There is one God and one mediator between God and man. The man Christ Jesus. That's a good verse to share with your Catholic friends. But there was only one man that God that could provide what God demanded. And that was the Lord Jesus. Because he was the only one who could offer that perfect sacrifice that God required. Hebrews 9.12 says, Though through his blood he entered the holy place once for all and obtained eternal redemption. Romans 8.3 and 4 says, For what the law could not do, weak as it was through the flesh, God did, sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and as an offering for sin, he condemns sin in the flesh so that the requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. Jesus had to come. He had to submit himself under the law. He had to fulfill the law, every jot and tittle, and then do that and then provide that for us. You know, what God, I said he was born of a woman under the law since the children share in flesh and blood, he himself also partook of the same. He, he had to be made like his brethren in all things so that he might make propitiation for the sins of his people. He had to take on our robe of flesh. He had to take on our weaknesses, our, uh, our sins. He had to be judged for our sins. But then it says that when... when in the fullness of time came, God sent his fourth son, born of a woman, born under the law, so that, and then he gives us the purpose statement of what he's planning to do, that he might redeem those who were under the law. At one time, we were under the law, uh, and it was beating us to death, because we could not become, we could not respond the way God would have us to do. But redeem means to buy out or buy back and was used of slaves whose freedom was purchased. Through payment of the required price, slaves were redeemed and became free men. So he came under the law that he might redeem us from under that law. Take that burden for us, 
fulfill all the requirements of the law, every jot and tittle on our behalf. Um, we became slaves of sin under the law. Jesus came to buy us out of that slavery. If God had only accomplished redemption and stopped there, we would have been most blessed forever. But God doesn't stop there, but goes further. God had a glorious purpose that he wanted to, that went beyond even our redemption from our sins. And the scripture tells us that we might be we might receive adoption as sons. He came to redeem us from our sins, but he came to redeem us so that we might become his child. I wish that I had the ability to, to convey what that means to me, and, and I'm sure it means to you too, to have a father that loves us that way. I mean, he's... He made every provision for us. He's paid the price for our sins. You know, each of us probably had uh, different relationships with your father. Uh, some good, some bad. But we have a, the opportunity in Christ to have the perfect, perfect father. I had a good father, and he provided for us. Never a problem with that. He was a very moral, upright man. But I had zero relationship with him, you know? and and that is we can't. I guess what I'm trying to say is we can't take the relationship we had with our father and put that on the say that that's the relationship we can have with Christ. You know, I've heard people say, "Well, I've, my father was very mean to me. He was he, he beat me. He did whatever, whatever," uh, and I just can't trust that image anymore. But that's not the image that you're trying to trust. You're trying to trust Christ, the perfect, the perfect Father. And we have that opportunity now, no matter what our past experience has been. Okay, he says that we might redeem us from under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. Packard says this is the greatest insight into the greatness of God's love that we might receive adoption of sons. Oh, I wish he could be here today to teach this to you. It was, you know, I just stumbled around and he, he is, I mean, it's just awesome the way he can open up the word of God. So we, when, we, when we see it, when we look into God's heart and we see, we see adoption, we see the pure love of God, the, the willingness to, to pay a price for his children, the willingness, the willingness to live for his children, and, to, and, to, and of course he can do far more than anything we can do for ours. As justification is the primary blessing, so, in the fundamental, so it is a fundamental blessing in that everything else in our salvation assumes it and rest upon it, adoption included. So in other words, our justification is the key to our adoption. Okay? And we have we cannot, cannot have adoption of the Father without that. Um, that is a basic building block in our relationship with him. 
But that is not to say that justification is the highest blessing of the gospel. Adoption is higher because it is a richer relationship with God that it involves. You know, a lot of people can be gloriously saved but never go beyond that as far as their relationship with the Lord is concerned. That's not what the Lord wants, but there are people who do that. Or they allow past experiences to block their, um, their um, building a relationship with Christ. Adoption is a family idea conceived in terms of love and viewing God as Father. In addition, God takes us into his family and fellowship. He establishes us as his children and heirs. Closeness, affection, and generosity are at the heart of, his, of this relationship. In our lives today, God goes beyond the judicial act. It has been said that he moved us out of the courtroom and into his loving, nurturing home. The, the law was, while we were under the law, it was, it was beating us to death. It's like the prosecuting attorney. But Christ has taken us into his home. We don't have to look at that anymore. We don't have to be responsible for that anymore. With the great, with greatest reverence and respect, we can say that God is our dad. He wants you know, the, the Abba Father uh, relationship that is spoken of in Scripture. That's a close, loving relationship between a young child and the Lord. You remember Jim Pittman. Some of you knew him. He was here a couple of months ago. He's a former pastor. I was really shocked one day when I was in a prayer group with him and had him address God as Dad. Dad, this is your son. This is what I need. This is what I want to do for you. You know, and that just brings that relationship down into our hearts. You know, I think we have to be very careful and not get flippant in the use of that. But to be able to to to, to build that relationship of a child with his father, that's that's what God wants, and He wants us to to come to Him when we have needs. He wants us to trust Him. To, um, to do in us all that he, he, um, he wants us to do. He will spend, we will spend the rest of our eternity loving us. He will spend the rest of our eternity loving us. Blessing us and preparing us for the closest fellowship a man can enjoy with his God. First Corinthians 1 Corinthians 1.9 says, God is faithful through whom we are called into fellowship with his son. We have been called into fellowship. And that's something that we dare not take advantage of, dare not fail to take advantage of. He's called us into fellowship with his son. This thing that, that Verse, or not verse, but sentence that GI from GI Packard's book helps to put it in all in perspective. At least for me, it does. 
It says to be right with God the judge, which is our justification, is a great thing. But to be loved and cared for by God the Father, which is adoption, is a greater. Is greater. Salvation, and you can't have the adoption without the sanctification, without the justification. But justification is a once and for all act on the part of God. It's the basis for all that he does for us. But the rest of our lives, we can live, literally live in our homes, in our businesses, everywhere we go in God's presence. And we know he's looking out for us. He's got, he's got his best for us. Okay. It is right and good to focus on our adoption in Christ and to have all that he has provided for us. But we miss the significance if we fail to see and appreciate that it is compassion, loving heart of God, our Father, who has provided all for us. You know, we, we don't we can't focus on the the gifts. And we can we can do that. But we need to focus on the giver. To see to see his heart behind it. We're not to be like selfish children seeking to gather up all the goodies for ourselves, but we must realize that all glory, praise, and thanksgiving belong to God our Father, our Dad. And there's a, there's a lot more that can be take, we can take out of that Galatians passage. But uh, also in uh, Romans 8, we see a, uh, an insight, some insights into it. I wanted to run through that with you too. See, God, our adoption as, as sons by the Father through the Spirit, Romans 8, 14 through 17. Let me read that to you. Romans 8, 14 through 17. For all who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. For you have not received the spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by which we cry out, Abba, Father. That Abba, Father is a very, very affectionate call of a child to the, to the Father. The Spirit itself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children heirs also, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, so that we may also be glorified with him. So what are the evidences of, of being, some of the evidence of being a child of God? Some from this Passage and some from John. First off, we will experience God's leading. For all who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. So God's Spirit comes to live within our lives and He will give us direction and the way to we, that we should go. Um, 
my life verse. God gave it to me right after I was saved. It was uh, Psalm 32 8. I will instruct you and teach you in the way which you shall go. I will counsel you with a high opinion. And, you know, that was 45 years ago that I got that verse. And every year since then, every almost every week since then, God has fulfilled that promise. You know, and that's one of the ministries of the and the evidence is that we're a child of God, is that he's, he's leading us in his directions. Um, then the next one would be uh, evidence of being a child of God. Uh, I will see desires diminish, sinful desires diminish. And do not go on presenting the members of your body to sin as instruments of unrighteousness. Represent yourselves to God as those who are alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. For sin shall not be, sin shall not be master over you, for you are not under the law, but under grace. And we, we see when we become a believer, we see the, the, the sinful desires that we've had, some that have had us in control. We see those backing off. We, we, can, we can stand against them through the Holy Spirit. Okay? We can see God um, God's work in our lives as those things become less and less in, of importance and power in us. And to understand biblical truth for when he, the Spirit of truth, comes, he will guide us into all truth. That's one of the um, Verses that I kind of go to when I'm I'm trying to discern whether a person is a real believer or not. When I was time that I served as an elder, and we had to meet with prospective members and all, that to me was one of the things to look for. And are they perceiving truth? Are they getting Are they getting truth out of the word? Is this book more than just a you know? Good housekeeping or whatever. Is it taking effect in his life? You know, are they reading him? Do they understand biblical truth? That's a really important aspect of the characteristic of being a child of God. And then the necessary but not necessarily wanted, we experience convictions in our conscience when we grieve the Lord. You know, none of us want to be under the Lord's conviction, but there are times where it's the best thing in the world for us. We need it. We need to convict him. It says, when he, the Holy Spirit, comes, he will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and judgment. Then he, the Spirit, grants us access to the Father. We have... Um, we have received the spirit of adoption as sons, and that as sons that gives us that access that we need to follow. You know, this y'all have experienced the Holy Spirit working in your lives. Uh, it doesn't really go with this point, but the uh, a month or so ago, Jean and I thought we needed a 
a different car. We wanted a, a smaller vehicle than what we have. And so we went and we were, in fact, we, we had signs on the dotted line. And all of a sudden, it, it just started falling apart. You know, God just, was so, it was so, it was just direct, directly involved in the circumstances around us. Our children didn't agree with us buying that car. And, so, and they went along because they, you know, we told them that's what we want to do. But I, we could tell that they were not, they were not happy with it. And, and the deal just fell apart. I mean, it was just, you know, and, and we saw God through his spirit intercede and block us from doing something that he thought was not right. And um, it was just a very direct, forceful thing. Um, but that's one of the evidences of being a child of God. You know, he'll say, go, he'll give you a green light sometimes, he'll give you a red light. And then when we push our will against the red light, then we pay for it, right? Mm -hmm. That's right. Then lastly, the Spirit testifies to the uh, assurance of our salvation. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we're children of God. You know, one of the greatest evidences that we are a child of God is his caretaking for us. And that often that's through the Holy Spirit or through the church, through Christian friends, counsel that we can, can receive. You know, God's not going to write something in the sky for you. I mean, he hasn't yet. He could at some point. But one of the reasons that, that we're together as believers is because we need to to watch out for one another in these areas, you know, and help us, help us, one another to, to make the right decisions, to have, be open to receive counsel and to give counsel. And that's, that's an important aspect of, of our Christianity and our one another in each other. But it's, um, you know, God's, God's loving care comes to, to us through his adoption. He takes responsibility for us. He walks with us. You know, everything that you can think of that you could or would do if you had adopted, if you had adopted a child, you can see that in the spiritual realm too. You know, his loving care is there for you. And I'm thankful for it. I know you are too. Let's have a word of prayer and then we'll be dismissed. Father, we just thank you now for the fact that you have taken the initiative to come and to redeem us, to save us from our sins, to put us on the path that you have for us, to receive us as your sons and daughters through adoption. God, I just pray that you Help us as we go into the days and weeks ahead that you would help us to meditate on this concept of your adoption and that we might learn to appreciate all the more the, the Father that we have, the Father that provides for us. And Father, we pray for the next hour. We pray that for Dan as he preaches that your word would go forth in power.
And we praise you for all these things now in Jesus' name. Amen.